Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian Rand. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm wondering if you've been connecting to any of these characters we've been studying, because this is us. Uh, we're studying folks uh, that journeyed before us with God and have actually helped us get to the place we're at in our understanding of God. What's wild is last week, uh, Tabitha took us deep into Hannah, and we've heard so much about how people were touched deeply by that message. If you haven't heard it, you can always go on our podcast. But maybe it was Moses the week before who didn't feel adequate, or maybe it was Abraham who was called to something crazy that I hope I never would even ever be called to. Or maybe we start it with the adulterous wife, Gomer, and how in the world does that fit into anything? And if you're new with us and haven't been on that journey, you're going, what did you say about that? But this is us. Uh, we are people that God uh, sees in such favor and yearns to use in such extraordinary ways. And I want to introduce you to three more names. And which name today? Because by the time we're done today, I'm going to ask you, which name today? Is it Naomi that you'll relate to the most today? Is it Ruth? Or is it Boaz? We actually have a Boaz in the house. Uh, we got a new baby. How old's the baby Boaz now? Ten months. We have a baby Boaz, all right, which is awesome. Isn't that a good name? And when you learn about that person today, you'll understand why they named their child Boaz today. But I have a question for you as we begin today, because I think it's a big question, and it's actually a big idea for today. And I want you to ponder what you think about this question. Is it true that our ordinary lives, our ordinary lives, let's go back to the big idea, that our ordinary lives or ordinary stories are part of this extraordinary story? Because this is the big idea I want you to see as we tell the story of these three characters today. And I'm pondering whether you believe it. And so even when you read that sentence, do you get excited or do you go, seriously? You know, or do you read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our extraordinary stories, or, or excuse me, our ordinary stories are part of the extraordinary story of God. Or as you read it, do you go, oh, seriously? My ordinary story? Can it really be a part of the extraordinary story of God? No way. So look at this question. Do you believe it? Because here's what happens. When I'm in Costco, I don't believe it. I don't believe it when I'm in Costco. I get to Costco, I got an agenda, I got things to do, I got things to get, and I got to make sure I get the right things because there's going to be some questions asked when I get home. Did you get the right things? Okay. And did you buy any extra things these times? Usually, I kind of do. It's good that my wife helps monitor that. It helps us be thrifty, actually. I'm grateful for that. But it's interesting, by the time I know where the fruit is, I don't know where anything else is in the store, it seems. But it's, it's, I get to the fruit, and then I go find the cucumbers, and then I'm wondering, is the cucumber room going to be as cold as the milk room? And I am no way involved in this bigger story at that point. And by the time I get to the milk room, I'm wondering, what milk do we drink? What color is the bottle or the plastic bottle? I don't even know what kind of milk we drink, but I know it's a color, not the milk, but the label. And then I leave the milk room and I become bitter because they've shifted the rest of the store and I have no idea where anything else is. Can anybody else relate to that? And I spend most of the rest of the time searching for a Costco worker. I easily forget that my ordinary stories 
part of this, part of this extraordinary story. But then there's moments when I reflect, and I'll reflect upon this. What if the plane hadn't de-iced, okay? What if the plane, what if the plane actually had de-iced? Because the plane didn't de-ice. And I had to get off the plane, and I got on the phone call. It was a pay phone back in 1990. And I called the regional director, and he said, you can't get the job they're offering in Pittsburgh unless you are at the interview and you're in the middle of the state stuck in an airport. I'm sorry, I don't have a job for you. And I was devastated. I hung up the payphone, cried my way back to my college room. What if that plane had de-iced? Would I have gotten a job in Pittsburgh? I love Pittsburgh. I was from that area. I would have never moved probably west. There was a girl that I was drawn to. She brought me here because she was ending the relationship that day. And her mentor said, at least take him to church. That day I came here back in 1991, I wasn't looking for a preaching job. I was looking for a girl. And I had the one with me, but she was done with me. What was going on there? I think about the death that we've experienced in our family and the alcoholism, and I go, what if that wouldn't happen? Would I have not been involved in all these different lives and the ways that God used it? It's just amazing to me. And going back to that girl, she did leave me on that day, but I ended up in that gym, and there was these two men that found favor on me that night when I ended up in that gym to play basketball. And I'll explain the kind of love they showed me in a little bit. And they pursued me in a way that I didn't deserve pursuit. I wasn't like them, uh, but I wanted something they had. And they showed me favor and pursued me. And at one point then they shared with me the love of God. And that changed everything, everything. Have you ever thought about the mundane the missteps you've taken, the troubles and the tragedy, that they're possibly threads that God is using to weave this larger, grand tapestry known as his story. Now, for some of you, you're going like, Brian, that was way too far. But that's what we're asking the question today. Do you believe that your ordinary stories are part of an extraordinary story of God? It's when I stop and reflect and I get out of my Costco, I'm lost mindset that I go, I believe that. I I wholeheartedly believe that. Will you take a moment and ponder your belief in that? There's a line I want you to finish. I do believe it because, or I don't believe it. It is okay to not believe it and be here today and be in that wrestle. Maybe this is the first time you've thought of it, first time in a long time. It's okay to be, I don't but you're here. So I'm going to give you some time. Go ahead and do that. Write it down in your message notes. Put it in your phone. Just, I want you to get comfortable with the sentence. I do or I do not believe it because. Go for it. Would you just lift your hand if it made you think of something you hadn't thought of in a while? Maybe a circumstance or event.
Just raise your hand if you just go. I won't make you say anything. It just made you think about a time, a season. Wow, could that have been one of the threads of the mundane, the missteps, the troubles or the tragedy that God's weaving? It'd be an interesting conversation having a ride home. I realize this today. I'm pondering this today. I want you to share the story of Ruth with you because I think it's such a great example of how it starts with famine. It ends up in this famous ending that we're all or will be made aware of today. Would you open to the book of Ruth in your, Ruth, in your pew Bibles? It's page 262. Otherwise, we'll start with Ruth chapter 1. What I love about this story, it has it all. And it actually, a lot of the values that we're about, uh, we're about six values here at PC. I won't go into details. It includes five of our six values that we're about. So it it's shows how ordinary people can live it out, what we're calling each other to do. It's amazing. But it starts like this. Ruth, it helps you set this time period if we just look at the first line. And I'm going to show you some pictures to help us go along. I, I love picture books. And so enjoy the story and, and, and find yourself in a story and begin to ponder the questions and things that you're wondering about the story right now. It starts off in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. What that just means is this. The book before Ruth is called The Judges. It was a season in Israel's life where the judges ruled. There wasn't kings, okay? There were judges that were in charge and they oversaw what and happened in Israel and governed over it. In the days the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. They just went east. Israel's here, Jordan River. They went across the river, went to Moab, different country, because of the famine. The man's name uh, was Elimelech, and the wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Milan and Kilion. They were from Bethlehem. They were from a tribe that was from Bethlehem. And they went to Moab to live there. Now, look at the details. Now, Lemelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. But notice, there's two other gravestones up there. They married Moabite women, so they married outside their tribe. They married foreigners. That would have been a no-no in the time. They shouldn't have done that, but they did. And they married two women. One was named Orpah, not Oprah, and the other was Ruth. And after they'd lived there for about 10 years, look what happens. The sons die also, and Naomi is left without her two sons and her husband. And these two Moabite women, what's she going to do? Well, it's interesting. She decides to head back. Naomi decides to return to Judea. And that's, you can see that play out uh, in verse 6. When Naomi heard Moabite that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-law is prepared to return home. So there's been food in Bethlehem. They can go back. The famine's over. But here's what she does over the next couple of verses. She says, don't come with me. You're Moabites. You have no status in Israel. It's going to be hard for me. It'll be harder for you. And her one daughter-in-law turns back and says, okay, I won't come. I won't come. Her name's Orpah. Her name means the back of her neck. As she walked away, they saw the back of her neck. But if this was a movie trailer, this would be the line we'd see and we'd be enticed to watch Ruth then. You'd say, see Ruth say this line to Naomi. 
Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There, I will be buried. She commits loyalty her, to her. Great kindness. I'm going to stand by you. This is called kessed love. We'll hear about it a little later. Just a fancy term for a very loyal, faithful, pursuing type of love. She's an unbelievable example of that. Ruth persists and goes. But they have a problem. They get back there, and look what happens. Get, back, get down to about verse 20. <laughs> Naomi's not going back happy, and there's no celebration for them when they come. In verse 20, it says, she's so frustrated, she says, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I've been afflicted, and I'm part of the misfortunate. She's bitter. Interesting. She calls the Lord the Lord Almighty there and critiques him. Tabitha, who shared with us last week, spoke of Hannah, who called the Lord Almighty to praise him. It's all right to be mad at God. And if you are, call out to him and question him. He can handle it. The Psalms are full of complaints. And we've got to get honest and real with God if we're going to have a true, real relationship and journey with him. Otherwise, we play games. Naomi's not playing games. She's hacked off. And Ruth knows there's a problem. They've got to go back, and will they have any provision? And look what plays out when you get to 2-2. And Ruth, the Moabite, says to Naomi, I need to go to the fields, and we need to find some favor, because otherwise we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And what happens in 2-8? She finds Boaz. Boaz is this man. She goes to the field, and Boaz has favor on her. And look what Boaz says. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean, any, don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. He shows her favor. They needed favor, didn't they? These widows needed favor. Well, it gets wild. In 222, look what happens. She comes home, Ruth, and says, wait, wait, wait. Naomi starts to question her. How was your day? Where were you? You met who? Boaz. Boaz, this Boaz? And this is where Naomi lights up and says, oh my, he's our kinsman redeemer. And that probably had to be explained to the Moabite woman who wasn't from Israeli culture. And the kinsman redeemer was just, if there was someone else in the family, all right, they were then responsible for the widows of those family. And they were responsible to buy the land of that family and care for that family. And she's elated because there's hope when there was potential destitution. And look how it plays out. Ruth then in 3.9 goes and requests, hey, will you be our kinsman redeemer? And here's a man, though he seems so strong and able to provide, he has a need. He doesn't have a wife. He's older. There's a line in there, he says, I'm shocked you would even ask me that because you know that that means I have to marry you. And he's willing. But he says, I think there might be one, and this is where the tension in the story plays out. There might be one who's a greater, or who actually is more related to you than I am, and we have to go figure that out. 
and he advocates for them. We need these people in our lives. And he says to that man, do you want these people in their land? You'll have to marry a Moabite as an Israeli. And in the end, he says, no. And here's how it cascades and ends. It ends with Boaz advocating and actually claiming in 417, after they're married, actually, they have a child. And that child, it's stated, and they name him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And what's wild about that story, for some you go, big deal. His name was Obed. Nobody names their kid Obed. And who's Jesse? So what? But what we're talking about here is that God would use a famine, a Moabite woman, and he would bring together the line of Jesus through them? Folks, this is us. He brought the kingdom through broken people. He brought the kingdom through imperfect ways. Boaz's mom, okay, her name was Rahab. She was a prostitute, okay? She was from Jericho. She was not part of the tribe of Israel. What's so amazing about that is, though, I believe Boaz showed that kind of kindness to Ruth because his mother was shown that kind of kindness. Write down this place in the Bible. Joshua 2. Don't go there. But here's what was happening. The Israelites were trying to come in to see if the promised land was really good, and they were spying, and they were trying to figure out how to get there. And they hide in this prostitute's house. Her name is Rahab. Rahab says, wait a minute, what are you guys going to do? You're going to demolish our town as you come through to take the promised land? Wait, wait, will you show me kindness because I showed you kindness? Yes. What's wild, they show her kindness. She becomes then part of the Israelites, all right? She marries an Israelite. They have Boaz. You know when they grew up, Rahab taught her son kindness and graciousness, this kessed love that we'll continue to talk about in this. And he shows it. That's probably one of the main reasons he was willing to marry out of a tribe because his mom was outside the tribe. He had seen God bring his life about and he knew he needed to learn from that and carry that on. It's part of the beautiful story. There's a lot of themes here. I just touched on Kessid Love. I'll go back to it. There's another theme I want you to ponder in here is sovereignty. Do you believe that God is ruling over all things? You might, though, because of the troubles in your life and the troubles on your homepage that you read about, go, where are you? It's almost like I want to complain to the Costco worker, right? Where are you and why did you move it over there? It has always been here. The peanut butter pretzels go right here. Why did you move those? Why are you hiding the yogurt from me today? These are complaints we can take to the Almighty because we feel that way sometimes. But do you trust that he's sovereign? And why do you believe he's sovereign? Sometimes I believe he's sovereign for this reason. This is what proves it for me. The sun came up again today. How do I explain to my 10-year-old son that the sun just keeps coming up? God's sovereignty. His reign and control over all things. How do I explain to my son the breath that I've seen be taken away from family members, the breath that I've seen spark in a family member when they actually were born alive? Just take a deep breath. Welcome to the sovereignty of God reigning and providing for us. 
It ties a lot into providence too. Providence is really the play out of sovereignty. Providence is what we see when Ruth shows up and it's Boaz's field. Are you with me? What do you do with words like coincidence, karma, lucky? I'd like you to exchange those for words like sovereignty, providence, and God's grace. I end up in a gym with some guys who pursue me. I just wanted to play basketball. I show up here and I didn't even like it. In the church, I couldn't relate to it. I came from robes and bells and smells and there's some of that tradition I love. Sometimes I think we're a little casual in here. This is like an auditorium. We just kind of do whatever we want, you know, but it's what I needed. Are you with me? God's providence, do you believe that it's provision he's providing you and it's not coincidence and you can thank him for that. But sometimes providence seems slow. (laughs) Sometimes uh, you don't like what you get and here's two words for you. God promised us there will be trouble but then he promised us you can have peace even in that trouble. Doesn't mean you get what you want but you can have peace in that trouble. And he'll still pursue you and he'll be loyal to you. That leads us to this kessed love. Just a fancy term for love. It means loyal, pursuing friendship. If you look in Ruth, Boaz showed it to Ruth, but Ruth had showed it to Naomi. And remember where Boaz got it? Boaz got it. And what's wild is when you continue that train from from the Old Testament to the Old Testament and then you keep moving and you'll see that that same type of love is described in the New Testament and it's the love that God has for us. It says his kindness, his kindness, his kindness leads us to what? Repentance. Those men showed me so much kindness and accepted me for I was. I was finally able to get honest with my life and say I need to change some things. Boaz showed so much kindness to Ruth and took her in. Ruth showed unbelievable kindness. Kessid, loyal love. Have you ever thought about the people in your life? I've named some of them in my own life. Who are the people who have shown you this Kessid love? You don't even realize, you don't even know why they're so for you. My sister's here today and I always say she was my biggest fan. She was older, she determined the relationship. Older siblings, you determine it. And the question is, will you show Kessid love or some other type of love? Loyal, pursuing love. I actually have another friend here today that, that we connected through different things and, and we have Kessid love for each other and we continue to pursue each other and talk monthly even though he's moved out of the area. And there's loyal, pursuing love of each other because for some reason, my life matters to him and his life matters to me. My wife is the greatest example of Kessid love. I'm a jerk and she'll still pursue me. You know what I mean? We need that loyal, loyal love and we need to be that loyal, loyal love. There's a lot of other themes in this book. There's a great theme about just how the rich need to like drop dollars and just let it loose so that the poor can glean those dollars. That was called gleaning through a field. But that's, there's, that's another great thing. Boaz is the Christ-like figure in this story. It's wild if you think about it. He rescues them. He sacrifices for them. He's Jesus in this story. They needed them. And a Moabite needed, needed Boaz to be accepted in the culture and have a relationship in the culture. 
They're such good themes. Where are you in the story? And this is where I want you to grab it. Are you Naomi? Are you bitter and afflicted and feel misfortunate? Are you, are you Ruth? Where you need to step up and be that kind, loyal friend and lean into somebody's life and say, where you go, I'll go. Are you Boaz? The gracious, gracious, generous one who has the resources to change and redeem a life, whether you show them favor or give them of something. I want to introduce you to a Boaz because we've been telling stories each week about how this is us. And I want you to see the sovereignty and the providence and the Boazness in this guy's life. Kenneth, would you come forward? Can we clap for Kenneth as he comes up? <laughs> Kenneth has a wild background. And his background is in another country, Malawi. And he oversees what's called the Malawi Children's Mission. But the reality is he's born to a family. His dad's Malawian. His dad's a judge in Malawi. And then his mom was actually a Ruth figure. She was a compassionate Peace Corps worker from England. He fell in love with his dad and said, your people will be my people. He then went on, and in 2004, uh, after having a connection through uh, African Bible College, came here and in, uh, was an intern for two years. And he found a Ruth. And her name was Avisha. She was here in the States and was one of the interns. And she said, I'll take you. And you big lug of a Boaz man. <laughs> and your people will be my people. And we have the same God. And let's go serve. And they spend their time now actually providing for 70% of their life. And 30% provides through Malawi Children's Mission. But they provide for 150 uh, kids who need care. Uh, in these ways that you see. But I want you to hear, and this is where the story shifts. This isn't us just propping him up. I want you to hear how Boaz has a dream and steps into it. I want you to hear how Boaz needs a Ruth and Ruth's. I want you to hear how sometimes Boaz feels like Naomi. Because this is more than just one-dimensional. So Ken, start us off. Just tell us, how did God put the kindness in your heart for the Malawi people and to start Malawi Children's Mission? Thank you, Ryan. Um, so when I was 12 years old, going to a local uh, primary school uh, in, in, in Malawi, I um, was always surrounded by you know, kids who were poor. We had maids working in our home. And many times, I used to play with... Uh, you know, the sons of our maids, you know, and the daughters of... And you could see the potential that they had um, in regards to, you know, just feathering their education and just having, a, you know, uh, a good life. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was 12, I was, you know, going through this, you know, situation where I even sat down one day in my classroom and I drew up um, a feeding center or a youth center, rather. Yeah, no, and that was 12, when I was 12. Mm -hmm. Little did I know something would happen, God would use me, mm -hmm. you know, in a, in, a, in a great way like this. Mm -hmm. But it was a passion I had in wanting to help, you know, those who were underprivileged, you know, come alongside them and uh, give them the push in life that they need. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a picture of Malawi Children's uh, Mission, a building, and that's what Ken ended up building. And he came back from being an intern and decided not to stay in the States and go back to his people. And he went to the government and said, I have this heart 
And he said to the governor, where do you need me? And they said, 40 minutes outside of, his town, outside of a town called Blantyre North, and then about a mile or two down this dirt road. There's three Muslim tribes who truly need water and food, and they need to know the love of God. And so this is where he built it. And the irony, it looks like half a Costco. <laughs> when you get, first time I saw it, I go, this is just a small Costco. <laughs> go further. Speak about your heart and your mom's heart and how your mom's heart got into your heart. So my mom came to Malawi. She's British. She came to Malawi in, in the six, uh, late 60s, you know, early 70s. And obviously got married to my dad. Um, but my dad was married twice before. So I was one of 11 uh, because my mom took in my other you know, siblings and looked after them. And I just saw how she went about it. Very gracious, you know, very loving, very caring, um, very compassionate. Mm-hmm. And it's that, you know, that drew me you know, to, to have that kind of compassion towards others. Mm-hmm. You know, just seeing how she was kind uh, to children who were not her own. Yeah. The dream of that was in his heart, that was built from, from his mom, also came about because at his wedding here, he meets a Jewish man from New York that says to him, I've been having trouble doing some nonprofit work uh, in Africa. What if we did some nonprofit work together? And so began this partnership over the last 10 years. Speak to the Ruths in your life. Who are they? What have they done for you? Why do you need them so much? So I'll start with my wife. Because, I mean, I came here 14 years ago, was in the, in the program, you know, doing tennis, and, you know, fell in love with my wife. And you've got to, you know, it's, it's a huge difference moving someone from here to Malawi. Let alone within Malawi, I, had, I was living in some area that is, you know, out there. So, Avisha, you know, my wife has been really faithful. She's been very loyal. You know, she supports me in, in, in what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's always said it, you know. And she said this, if you die, you know, I'm going back to the States. <laughs> I'm here because of you. You know, that, that's being loyal. That's yeah, loyal. That's loyal. That's loyal. That's yeah, kissing yeah. love. Uh, because it's not always easy, you know, uh, yeah. living out there in a foreign land. You don't speak the language. You know, when she first came in, you know, that was huge. You know, my wife would struggle because I could speak the, the language. I could go out and play, you know, I, I love playing football. Mm-hmm. And I'd walk into the house and there was my wife crying because she'd been sitting at the house all, all alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but God has been faithful, and my wife has been very, very faithful and loyal to me. Speak to your uh, father and mother-in-law and how they spoke into your life and were really Ruth-like to you. Right. Like I said, total stranger, kid from Africa, comes here, falls in love with uh, this American girl. Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing you want to question is, it is, does, is he looking for a green card or what? <laughs> yeah, so... But I went back, having dated for a while, I went back and I made the phone call to, to her dad. And I, I can tell you I was sweating when I was making this call because I was asking permission to marry her. And my father-in-law said, we are only vessels that God has used to raise uh, Avisha, my wife. Mm-hmm. And we wish you well. You know, God bless you and you know, as you do God's will. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was a blessing. Mm-hmm. Along the way, though, and even sometimes now, you feel like Naomi. Right. There's some bitterness. There's been some times you've been really scared. There's been times you've been very frustrated. Speak to the bitterness. 
Well, bitter in the sense that my dad died when he was 60. I was quite young. And, you know, in Africa, there's always extended family. And everybody wants to have their say on who gets what and who does this. So I felt like that burden fell on me, mm-hmm. you know, and I was quite young. Mm-hmm. And I had to grow up fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt like I lost a part of my, you know, just being young and just, mm-hmm. you know, finding myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was bitter about that. But, you know, Tabitha spoke about it, you know, in her message last week, you yeah. know, uh, like God was her husband. In, in my case, it was God was my father. Hmm. You know, I had lost my earthly father, but he was there, hmm. you know, to take care of, of me. Sure. You know, and I found comfort in that. Speak to the scared. You've had some scary moments. Right. Uh, so two years ago, my wife was expecting our little daughter, and she got really sick. Hmm. Um, and I almost lost my wife, and I lost my, almost lost my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was scary, you know. A lot of prayer, a lot of doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was when she was actually, she was a month older than when she was born hmm. at that point. So she, she was eight weeks early, hmm. and uh, the doctor came to me and said, no, we need to pull out the baby. Uh, we need to save your wife. You know, we might lose the baby. So that was a rough moment mm. in our lives. Yeah. Mm. Speak to the frustration. Frustrations is just in terms of, you know, the ministry that I'm doing, you know, uh, or rather we are doing is um, just sometimes people don't get the vision of what you're trying to do, yeah. you know, yeah. whether it's the kids that you're working with, you know, the community that you're surrounded with, mm-hmm. the, the elders, the chiefs. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't always get it. Sometimes the idea is we're going to make money out of this. You know, mm-hmm. they don't see the education part of it as being, you know, as helpful. They don't see the feeding, you know, and the health aspect, mm-hmm. you know, that we're doing. So it takes a while, you know, and I'm glad to say that people are getting the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in one of the poorest countries in, in, in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in, in such a case, you have so much corruption. Government is so corrupt. The bureaucracy is amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and trying to get things done is, is a problem. But just also frustrating in the sense that you're always anxious, you know, in regards to fundraising. Yeah. You know, to raise money so that you can continue doing yeah. the work that we're doing. Mm. Can we clap for Ken and thank him for his honesty? Ken's one of us. You don't realize this. When you give each week, you, a percentage of that goes to Malawi Children's Mission. Uh, he's one of the 60 ministries that we uh, support uh, from PCC. But he's a normal person that had a Boaz heart who needs Ruth and sometimes feels like Naomi. Now, I'm going to give this to you right now as we close. And we're going to turn these into verbs. <laughs> who do you need to Boaz? You have a position of favor somewhere. And there's people who need you to step forward with that position of favor and literally rescue them or show them favor. That could, that could be in a variety of ways. Who do you need to Ruth? <laughs> who do you need to go, hey, I see what you're going through. Tabitha took us deep in that road last week. I see what you're going through and I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to pursue you, and yeah, you've screwed up, (laughs) but I'm with you. I love you even though, and I love you through. And then, maybe you need to just Naomi. 
You're mad at God. You're frustrated with where you are. You're not sure where this is going. And it's okay to Naomi. Maybe you need to cry out for a Ruth. Ask God to bring a Boaz into your life. Will you just take a moment? Which one do you relate to? What is God calling you to? I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith now. I'm going to ask you to identify with one of these uh, individuals and stand up and not say anything, but then I'm just going to pray over all of us once those who want to stand do. You don't have to stand. Be authentic about it. But if you feel like you're called to be a Boaz, would you stand up? Would you stand up? That God's calling me to step up somewhere in somebody's life. Would you stand up? If you're feeling like you need to be a loyal Ruth to somebody, would you stand up right now? And just, I gotta share my faithful commitment and pursue those people. If you wanna stand up because I feel like Naomi and I at least wanna stand up and let somebody know that. That might be the hardest position because might, you might feel shameful about that. No, no, that's just being honest. That's just being honest. And I know not everyone likes to stand up and you might be a combo of all these. So as Tabitha and the band comes down, let me pray for us. And note the simple prayer at the bottom of your message notes. Lord, we acknowledge right now that you are sovereign and you're a God of providence and our lives are not a mistake and you thread things, God. You thread things together for a grander narrative. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe that. Thanks for how you've shown us. And Lord, even as we question it, show us more. And Lord, for those who feel like Boaz, help them be bold and go after and rescue. And Lord, those who uh, feel like Ruth, help them stay the course when it's really hard and they're even getting negative feedback from the Naomi they're trying to serve. And Lord, for those who are Naomi's, Lord, give them a glimmer of hope. May their name change uh, from bitter to faithful. May they remember your Emmanuel, God with us, the one who promises peace. But Lord, may they cry out and scream and yell and complain to you. And may you hear them and may they hear a response in some way through somebody. So in the end, Father, we give you these people. We give you our lives. And Lord, we consent to your presence and action within us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.